Good morning, everyone. As blessed, Amen. We have much to be thankful for, and uh, going into this Thanksgiving season, so we can count our many blessings there. Everything that we enjoy in life has been given to us by a generous and a gracious God. The question is, what thrills you in life? What thrills you most in life? You, it might be the outdoors, it might be shopping, or entertainment, or family. Have you ever paused in the middle of that to examine why you enjoy these things so much? And what purpose they serve in your life. Oftentimes we fail to analyze our pleasures. And see, it's really easy to overlook the underlying purpose of pleasure. I want you to think this morning about the purpose of your life. Isn't it true that what you value and enjoy most is what you're actually living for? And what you're living for is what you understand your purpose in life to be. Life, but you can have joy that transcends life's uncertainty, a resilient joy that stays when everything else goes. And I believe that joy and pleasure is found in living for the highest purpose of all things. Here it is, enjoying and displaying the supremacy of Christ above all things. That is the purpose of all things. Glorifying by enjoying Him most is the only purpose and pleasure that outlasts all the other and pleasure in life. Would you deeply consider three questions that will help you clarify? I'm dropping out here, guys. Is this, should I just take this off and yell? That's Do you guys hear that? That's distracting, isn't it? I hate when that happens. But I'm just going to press through. Maybe I'll yell louder. All right. Here are the three questions. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of all the good and precious blessings that God gives to you in your life? And third, if God took everything away from you, everything that you enjoy the most, and left you with only Jesus, would your purpose still remain? I hope the Holy Spirit awakens in you a resilient purpose and joy that transcends your circumstances. So how can we live with purpose? Always stay focused on the biggest picture. Should I get another one? That's just going to annoy all of us if I don't. All right. Sorry about that. Check. All right. Men in churches, and they always seem to have little things, so it's fine. All right. Always stay focused on the biggest picture. Uh, people talk about seeing the big picture in life. Have you heard about the, the story where the dignitary walks through a, a certain construction site, and he asks a mason 
uh, what he was doing. And the mason said, I am laying bricks. And then the dignitary asks another mason on the same site what he was doing. And he says, I'm building a cathedral. Two very different perspectives. But even the second mason is missing something. The cathedral may be the big picture, but what about the biggest picture? What is the grand purpose of the cathedral? Doesn't something transcend the cathedral itself? How the details of our lives work together in the grand scheme of things is really, really important. But isn't the grand scheme itself most important? Jesus and his disciples traveled from Jerusalem or urban Judea into the rural Judean countryside. People were coming to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized, though Jesus didn't actually baptize anyone. It was uh, his disciples baptizing through his authority. Nearby in Anon, near Salim, John the Baptist was baptizing people as well. Now, Anon is a transliterated word for springs, and you can see why they would have done baptism in a place called Springs. There was a lot of water there. So Jesus and his crew are baptizing, John and his crew baptizing, both drawing a significant amount of people. Uh, Verse 24 says, For John had not yet been put in prison. And that's a little historical marker to make this point. You have to go back to John 135 through the end of John 3. All right, include the calling of the disciples, the water into wine at Cana, the first cleansing of the temple, and the discussion with Nicodemus. All that stuff had all happened after Jesus was baptized and tempted in the wilderness, but before John was incarcerated. That's important because it clarifies important history that the other Gospels leave out and it clears up an apparent contradiction of Scripture. Sometime, if you take a little time, study closely Matthew 4 and Mark 1. Um, The other Gospels pick up the ministry of Jesus after the events that John describes in 1 through 3. All right, so it's an insert clarifying in between two verses in the other Gospels. And you have to insert John's account there. So Jesus is baptizing, and John is baptizing. Two locations, lots of people, and a discussion comes about a a dispute between uh, some disciples of John and a certain Jew. Now, we're not told much about the dispute, but there's a lot to learn from verse 26. John the Baptist was a really influential guy. He had a large following. He was well-known, he was respected, he was powerful, and he knew influential people. And some of his disciples, they came to him and they said, verse 26, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Do you understand the tension that they're feeling there? What's happening? John the Baptist is losing people to Jesus. His his ministry is shrinking. His following is shrinking. They're walking away from him, and they're going over to Jesus. Now, why might that concern John's disciples? Well, John is losing people. His ministry and influence is declining, and they're concerned about that. They, they probably were jealous at evaluating all the ministry that's taking place with Jesus, and they're concerned about John, and uh, they're definitely losing sight of the biggest picture. 
what God is, is doing. If you head east on Lidditz Road from uh, 72 toward Roar's Quarry, are you following me? You'll pass this beautiful little tree uh, nursery on the left-hand side. And in the fall, it is very, very beautiful back there. Not, not huge, but uh, very, very nice. Now, imagine if the owner of that tree nursery uh, decided to ignore all of the beautiful trees in his nursery and focus on one little evergreen. Uh, now, it's important for him, no doubt, to tend all of the trees individually all right, that one evergreen is important to him, but not at the expense of his entire nursery. The most important thing is the nursery, not the one tree. What the disciples of John had done was lost sight of the biggest picture. John's ministry was very, very significant. It was designed and blessed by God, but only in order to advance the superior ministry of Jesus Christ. They couldn't see beyond the big picture to the biggest picture, what God was accomplishing through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's easy to do, to focus on our big picture instead of focusing on the biggest picture, namely the sovereign will and plan of God. We lose focus in our lives sometimes. We get caught up in building our kingdom instead of building God's kingdom. God built John's ministry for the very specific reason of drawing attention to Jesus Christ, and it was only for a brief time. He gave them that influence for a reason, for a set period of time, and then he was to fade, and Jesus was to emerge. John's ministry served a massive purpose, served a glorious purpose, one with incredible importance in God's redemptive history. But it was only to open up the way for the greater ministry of Jesus Christ. John's ministry was only temporary. Yet look at the effects that John's ministry had. When you follow Jesus, there is absolutely no guarantee that he is going to build your life into this big thing. Into this incredibly great thing to give you wealth and and, uh, influence and put you in the top spots in the world. There is no guarantee that it will be bigger and better for you. Following Jesus means surrendering everything. No matter what. Taking Jesus as your prize above everything that he may give to you. Jesus is not a stepping stone to somehow get to something better. Um, He's not not just a means to get to health, wealth, and prosperity or influence. He's not the means to a better end. He is the end. Jesus is the biggest picture We can never forget that God has created us, has made us for him. For him. That's why we exist and we are part of his sovereign plan. Always remember your place and that everything is sovereign grace. You get that little rhyme there? Uh, I did that on purpose. Always remember your place and that everything is sovereign grace. Never forget what John the Baptist says in verse 27. John answered his disciples, take a look. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Everything in your life is sovereign grace. 
given to you as a gift. All of John's ministry and influence and success was a gift. John didn't build it. God built it. God created John for a magnificent purpose and built him up in order to build Christ up. And as John submitted to God's will, he found his own highest joy in glorifying God. John's place was that of a receiver, of a beneficiary of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 asks the question, what do you have that you did not receive? D.A. Carson wrote, God's sovereignty stands hidden behind all human claims. For a human being does not have anything but what he has received. In a genuinely theistic universe, this must be true. As frequently forgotten as it is, the maxim is almost self-evident. End of quote. In the beginning, only God existed. It was only Him in perfect fellowship with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that truth is the implicit truth of God's sovereignty and God's grace. With all His success, listen to John's humble focus in verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. Something bigger than John was happening. And yet John was this awesome part of that something bigger. All right, we see this in chapter 1, verse 8. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 15, John said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. In John 1.20, John confessed, I am not the Christ. He said he wasn't Elijah or the prophet either. In John 1.23, John said he was the voice in the wilderness crying out and preparing the way for the Lord. Even in John 1.27, he said he was unworthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandals. John knew two really important things. God's sovereign grace and his place in God's sovereign plan. He knew God's sovereign grace and he knew his place within the great plan of God. John submitted to God's purpose for him to draw attention to Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And that magnificent purpose was the basis for his complete joy. I'm talking about joy this morning, happiness, something that will last in your heart that your soul craves. All of us in here. I don't know of anyone sitting in these pews that does not want to be as happy as they possibly can be. And so if you share that with me and we want to pursue our greatest pleasure and our greatest joy in this life, we must do it in Jesus Christ. Or else we will find ourselves discontent, unhappy, robbed of the very thing that our soul craves. John's complete joy. That should interest us. Now, in order to add some color to what he was saying and some power to his words, uh, like many preachers do, John used an illustration that spans all cultures and all time. A wedding. How many of you have been to a wedding before? All right. Okay. Hopefully, you showed up to your own if you were married. On the wedding day, the bride is taken by the groom. Not the best man. At least that's how it should work. But then the best man would have been the groom. And so you see my point. All right? It's for the groom. The beautiful and radiantly pure bride is for 
the groom. Well, the day had come, the groom had arrived, and the bride was going to adore the groom. And as the bride lovingly goes to her groom, God's people were going to Christ. He would love and provide for her and ultimately give his own life to win his bride. Well, John is a friend of the groom. He's not the groom. It's about the groom. John's just the friend that's along for the ride. All right? John was the friend of the groom that was there to make sure that the wedding went smoothly, to keep the details in place. That's what they did. His joy is contained in pulling off the wedding without a hitch and enjoying the marriage of the bride and the groom. John knew his place on that wedding day. And something else, grace. He was there for the groom. His joy was in the joy of the groom. You know the truth? We're not Jesus. We are not Jesus. And the world does not revolve around us. We are not the purpose of the universe. We are not the greatest reason the universe exists. Our purpose is always defined by God's greater purpose, His glory. The moment we assign a different purpose for ourselves is the very moment we lose sight of our greatest purpose in life, the only one that will actually offer us the joy that our soul craves. Before I left the house as a teenager, my mom often said to me, Remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. I was bought with the price. I was not my own. I am still not my own. Because Jesus purchased me with his own blood. I am his. We must always remember our place. And always remember that everything we are, everything we have, everything that we Experience in our lives is God's gift to us for His marvelous purpose. That's why pleasure exists. Just like verse 31 says, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. We are temporal. We are earthly. We are limited. We have feeble and tentative bodies and our lives are common and mortal. Yet our place is one of the highest honor as we find our highest joy in serving the magnificent purpose of the glory of God. Our joy is actually made complete when we submit to God's grand purpose. The title title of the sermon is The Joyful Purpose of Your Life. The Joyful Purpose of Your Life. Because God's purpose for us in Christ Jesus is not an insignificant purpose. It's not substandard. It's not second rate. It's not outdated or archaic. It's joyful. It's good. It's amazing and glorious. Always pursue complete and long-term joy over incomplete and short-term gain. Always pursue complete and long-term joy over incomplete and short-term gain. Life offers you numerous pleasures. Amen. Everywhere you turn, there's pleasure for you to experience. It packages it in in all different types of ways. Entertainment. We are the most entertained society in the world, yet we're so radically discontent. 
We're comfortable. It offers you comfort. It offers you money. It offers you influence. It offers you get ahead of everyone else. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and work hard and you can actually make something for yourself here in America. Isn't that what we thrive on here? But experiencing these things raises the question, and this is such an interesting thing that people deal with, is this all there is? After Tom Brady won multiple Super Bowl rings, he was still asking the question, is this all there is? You're at the top of your game and you're asking, is this it? Well, the truth is, we know these pleasures of this world are incomplete. And short-lived. We know that. This is not a surprise. Why do you desire another piece of chocolate cake? Was the first one not good enough to satisfy you? I keep going back. Never enough. All right? Why another movie? Was the first blockbuster not good enough? Because if it was, you'd say, done with movies. Done. I just saw the one that was everything I had ever hoped. Movies keep selling, and there's a reason for that. Look at verse 29 again. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Why does the friend of the groom rejoice greatly? What produces that kind of intense happiness? The voice of the groom. It's the arrival of the groom and his joy in the bride that fuels the joy of the best man. The joy described in verse 29 is incredible, unparalleled joy. But there is more in verse 29. John said, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The wedding is an illustration of John's joy in Christ. The word used for complete is peplerotai. The Greek word. It means to be totally full, to be totally filled up, to be complete. John the Baptist, amazingly, was able to say that his joy in Christ was so intense that it was actually full and complete joy. Does that interest any of you? Full and complete joy. Unrivaled. Can't find another like it. Please, people, tell me you're interested in that. I hope I am really interested in that. Well, how can John the Baptist experience such a radical joy in the face of a declining ministry? Where would it hit John the hardest? John was fading, and yet he was extremely happy. Joyful. He's joyful because life was never ultimately about him. It was always about something bigger, something better, namely Jesus Christ. John wasn't waiting for something more. He had received in Christ what he wanted the most. John the Baptist said in verse 30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Pay particular attention to the word must. John's decrease had to happen. This is the sovereignty of God. God predestined John's birth, his regeneration, his rise to ministry success, and his eventual decline. John knew who he was in light of who Jesus was, and so decreasing was not only inevitable, it was invaluable. D.A. Carson wrote, John finds his joy 
not in grudgingly conceding victory to a superior opponent, but in wholeheartedly embracing God's will and the supremacy it assigns to Jesus. Lenovo puts out the ThinkPad laptop computer, the X230, which costs around $1,000. And if you put another $240, found from your couch maybe, into better batteries, you can increase the battery life of this computer to 20 hours. 20 hours, that's a long time. Now imagine buying it only to realize when you get it home, take it out of the box, that there are no ports to charge the batteries. You can't plug it in anywhere. And so you look everywhere on the machine and there are no ports, so all you get is 20 hours. Now imagine that, for the sake of the example, that you can't buy new batteries or you can't take it back to the store. Would you be okay with that? $1,240 for 20 hours of a really good computer. $1,240 for something you can't recharge and can only use once, or would you rather have a laptop that can be recharged and last a long time? The pleasure of this world is just like a 20-hour laptop. You get really good usage of it for only a short amount of time. When the thrill is gone and the purpose fades, you're left disappointed with no pleasure at all. That is the world. How did John not completely crash and burn when his ministry was taken away from him? How how would your life be if something so precious to you was just stripped and you no longer had it and never had hope of having it again? People crash under that pressure. Why did John not crash? Why is John smiling saying, this is fulfilling exactly why I was put here? How do you get that? Um, at the decline of John's ministry, John received even more joy because finally his life purpose was fulfilled. Make much of Jesus Christ. Make much of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, in whatever circumstances, you're happy. You're fulfilled like John did. He did that. He made much of Jesus Christ. John trusted in something eternal, and that's why his joy was complete and full when his ministry was on rapid decline. He knew his place. He knew his purpose, and that fueled his long-term pleasure. Do you want that kind of indestructible joy? Then live out your greatest purpose to make much of Jesus Christ. Draw attention to the supremacy of Christ in your life. Your life is for Jesus. Don't settle for incomplete and short-term games that will inevitably disappoint you. You've got to go biggest in your life. Don't go big, go biggest. One more application. Many pleasures are fads. They actually come and go. They change. But the ministry of Jesus is still increasing. He's still increasing. His increase hasn't stopped. His fame and influence in the world, in the universe, is on the rise. There is something important that lies behind the joy of John and behind the decrease of his influence and ministry. Always treasure Christ for his supremacy and sovereignty. Always treasure Christ for his supremacy and his sovereignty. John the Baptist's joy is complete Only if Jesus is supreme and sovereign over everything else. 
Otherwise, it's in totally incomplete joy that will also expire. Some say, verses 31 through 36, they're a continuation of John the Baptist's quote. And other scholars say that the Apostle John took over and uh, was offering commentary. I'm not really sure. Uh, But either way, the truth is the same. Jesus is supreme and sovereign. See it in verse 31. Take a look. He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus Christ came from God and he ranks above everything else in the universe. Then verse 32 says he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Jesus knows God intimately. He was there at the very beginning. He saw and he heard the divine counsels of God. There is nothing that Jesus is out of the loop on, so to speak. Then in verse 34, we learn that God sent Jesus and that Jesus speaks the words of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be clear of this, that every Christian has the power of the Holy Spirit in them. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in them. But Jesus has the Holy Spirit without measure. Without measure. An infinite anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 35, we learn that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Everything in the universe is in the hand of Jesus Christ. He is supreme and he does rule over everything. God has made his beloved Son supreme and sovereign over all things. And that is the basis, the foundation of of, uh, John's unshakable joy. Since Jesus Christ is supreme and sovereign over all things, he is then the most valuable being in the universe to be treasured and delighted in and therefore able to completely satisfy. Jesus is supreme over the best entertainment. He's supreme over every party or vacation or destination you could possibly experience. Jesus is supreme over every physical pleasure, over caffeine, over sugar, nicotine, drugs, alcohol, sex, adrenaline, accomplishment, and music. There is nothing on planet Earth that rivals Jesus. How do we treasure Christ for his supremacy and sovereignty? Verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. When we receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, we believe it. We believe it. We cherish it. We treasure it. We build our life upon this testimony. And when we receive his testimony, we set our seal to this. In other words, we confirm that God is true. The old way of sealing a letter was they would have the letter there and then they would melt the wax on this and take the insignia and they would press it down in the wax giving a personal indentation so that they knew that it was sealed by them. So to make your seal of the testimony of Christ, you're making your imprint to say God is being totally truthful when he says, look to Jesus Christ and all that he ever is. You confirm that for you and you confirm that generally that is true. Mozart began composing music at the age of five. He composed his first symphony and published his first sonatas when he was nine years old. As a teenager, Mozart was composing uh, operas. At the age of 10, Jason Levy began York University in Toronto and graduated with special honors in mathematics at the age of 14. He... um, 
Brilliant guy. He received his Master of Science from the University of Toronto at 15 and his PhD in mathematics at 20. Tiger Woods shot in the 70s when he was eight years old. I have yet to shoot in the 70s. I'm 34 and very bitter. No, no Bob, Bobby Fischer, if you've ever heard of his name, the chess player, won the United States Chess Championship at 14 and became a grandmaster at 15, the youngest of any chess player at the time. Why are we impressed by accomplishments like this? Isn't it because we're drawn to greatness? Dominant and extraordinary things leave us totally awestruck. We are thrilled by the pleasure of greatness. Why? Why are we so captivated with the extraordinary? We are in awe of greatness because deep within us we yearn for the greatness and supremacy of Christ. Where does human greatness and achievement point if not to a transcendent greatness? When human performance uh, surpasses the ordinary and the mundane, we are left spellbound because it dimly reflects the transcendent greatness of Christ. How else could we differentiate between the extraordinary and the ordinary without an apex of greatness and glory? It just doesn't make sense that something would be just a little better, just a little better. They ran a little faster. They shot a little lower. They scored a little more points. Where is that building to? Where does the standard come from? We were made for this glory in Christ. Each time you receive pleasure from experiencing something just sublime, something exceptional, you are experiencing to a certain extent, to an extremely limited or distorted extent, the supremacy of Christ. The joy of John the Baptist was rooted in the supremacy and sovereignty of Christ is yours, is yours. We end John chapter 3 with the theme of the entire book. Always see the connection between belief, obedience, life, and God's wrath. They are so interwoven. There is a little parallelism. I hope I can help you see it here. In verse 36, take a look. The first line is, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Believe, eternal life. The second line negatively parallels the first line. And it says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So disobey Jesus and you die. Or the opposite is true, obey Jesus and you live, which parallels the first line. Can you see it? God commands us to believe in Christ, excuse me, which is obedience. So without faith in God, there is no life. In fact, verse 36 says, the wrath of God remains on him. On whom? On anyone who does not obey Christ, who does not believe. God's wrath is a very unpopular topic in the church. God's wrath, is that really what the church growth gurus are saying? You just preach God's wrath more and people are going to come from miles around to hear how they're condemned by the righteous indignation of an almighty God. This is not popular, but it is as true today as it ever was 
Every unbeliever has the righteous and divine indignation of God on them. On them. There is no escape without Jesus. You will be damned for eternity without him. The wrath of God is there. Paul wrote in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath rests on everyone who pushes away his truth in their own wickedness. Paul warned the Ephesian church, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Doesn't that sound like John 3.36? Disobedience, wrath of God. This is why, my friends, treasuring Christ is so radically important for you. Through the gospel, we avoid the wrath of of God and receive eternal life. Psalm 2:12 gives us this hopeful warning, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In other words, love and adore Jesus Christ. Prize him, treasure him, enjoy him because if you don't, the wrath of God is fully on you. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, if if he becomes your solace and your peace and your place that you flee to in times of despair and just in life, he's your shelter, he's your protection, you will be blessed. You will be happy, happy, contented in him. Here is what I want you to get. There is a species of joy and pleasure that transcend your circumstances and temporary amusements. There is a way for you to be completely joyful and to find what your soul aches for. Aligning your life with the great purpose God has for you, namely to enjoy and make much of Jesus, is the road to your greatest joy. Even in the event that you lose everything else, you're thankful for. When we define our lives by temporary joy and pleasure, our joy and pleasure are extremely volatile. And we gamble with cards we don't have in a hand that we can't win. Live your life with zealous, zealous determination to be most happy in God's most magnificent purpose for you. Live to enjoy to savor, to treasure God and make his son, Jesus Christ, look glorious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these magnificent truths, these truths that are too big for us if it wasn't for your grace revealing it to us. God, thank you that you wrote us a letter a Bible that we can open up and study and see these fantastic realities unfold before our eyes. I pray that Jerusalem Church can prize Jesus Christ above everything else and be the most radically joyful and happy and glad and rejoicing and loving and gracious and generous people on the planet. And God, that can happen when we are most satisfied in you. 
I pray that you release your Holy Spirit here to radically change this church into one that is is just so desperate to see more power and more glory revealed in our midst and in our community and in the world. I pray that we won't settle for insufficient second-hand pleasures that leave us disappointed and bitter at the end of the day, but that we will go to the source, the overflowing river and stream of delight and pleasure in you, the Almighty God. I pray that someone's uh, pleasure is heightened this morning by knowing the reality that your pleasure is the greatest pleasure that you will take them right to the source of their complete joy and they would experience that forever, now and forevermore. I pray for the discontented here this morning who are bitter, who are disappointed, that they would release that and come to you and drink deeply by faith to experience what their soul so desperately longs for. God, release us from the cares of this world and from the clutches of our own pleasures here, for we all are in the middle of the battle. But there is a greater reality, the greatest reality of the universe, which is your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. That is what we're most thankful for, and that is what we want the most. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen.